This is The Guardian. Today, a look back on 2022 through the eyes of a political satirist. Too soon? Marina, in your column this year, there's been no shortage of rogue political figures to take aim at. Boris Johnson. Hasta la vista, baby. Matt Hancock. I haven't had casual sex with anybody. I fell in love with somebody. Jacob Rees-Mogg. People really want to call me Tory scum. I don't mind. Nadine Doris. But Channel 4's not like the BBC. Uh, It's not in receipt of licence fee money. And so, although it's, yeah, and the Liz Truss. I've sometimes been excessively over-enthusiastic and sometimes I have to rein myself in. Quasi Quateng. What are you going to do about the turmoil on the markets this morning, sir? I'm not going to make any comment now. Rishi Sunak. Fact, at least I didn't get up and, uh, and slap anybody, which is good. Did you uh, right? Braverman. It's the Guardian reading. To- tofu eating. Wokarati. God, what a cavalcade of useless people. Who do, you think, who do you think disgraced themselves the most? Oh, my God. I mean, it's like saying which was worse, Ebola or syphilis. I mean, you know, both can be terrible. Um, and in fact, all of those people you've just mentioned could be terrible. Marina Hyde is a Guardian columnist. And as I like to think of her, chronicler of chaos in chief. I think Hancock, really, just because I can't stand the reinvention. Well done. How about that, then? That wasn't easy, was it? Oh, that was so hard. That was so hard. And those, the the, sna- the eels, the sea snakes, uh-huh. I was absolutely petrified. But the thing about Matt Hancock is he has to keep narrating himself because if he doesn't narrate himself, then I'm afraid, you know, the voices will creep in and he will, I'm, I'm afraid it will be time for tears. From The Guardian, I'm Nushin Iqbal. Today in Focus, Marina Hyde on yet another year of chaos. Do you believe the Prime Minister? Of, of course I do. The Prime Minister you set out... the truth? Of course I do. The Prime Minister set out his understanding... Marina, thinking back to the start of the year, the backlash against Partygate was really heating up. You had Johnson surviving disaster from disaster, and throwing his ministers out onto the morning news rounds to defend him. He was, in a sense, ambushed with a cake. They came to his office with a cake. In the garden, he spent 25 minutes to what he perceived to be a... was a failure, and he has owned up to that. The question for us now... Can we start by talking about Operation Save Big Dog? What was it? How did it look? I'd forgotten it. This is the thing about a year like this is that you've actually forgotten a phrase like Operation Save Big Dog because I think you've put it down in a sort of memory hole in order, in a way, to protect yourself from the memory. Yeah, wh- wh- why do they want to save Big Dog? I mean, Big Dog peed on the rug. Big Dog needed to be put out of his misery, but they couldn't accept it. And actually, as we get on later in the year, they still, you know, 102 of them, even by the time he's left office for six weeks, wanted to bring him back again. So, you know, Big Dog, I feel, could still be cryogenically revived in some way, even now. But yeah, why did they, they were, they were desperate to save him. They always believe he's got that special source. But in the end, when people could see that they'd had parties in number 10 and 
they'd had to watch relatives die on their iPad. For me, it always felt completely unsurvivable. Do you even know where the, the big dog phrase came from? Why, why was it oh, being... Probably from those desperate people in number 10. Yeah, I mean, it's a phrase that's try, written by other people, but trying to make it sound like the sort of thing Boris Johnson would say, like, you know, form a square around the Pritster, which I believe was one of his when P- Pretty Patel was done for bullying. It's a sort of Johnsonian phrase. You know, they were all trying to get behind the big man. Big dog. Yeah, big dog, the big dog. Yeah, and ultimately it didn't work. There was a brief gathering in the cabinet room shortly after 2pm, lasting for less than 10 minutes. And I have to say, in all frankness, at that time, it did not occur to me uh, that this might have been a breach of the rules. But of course, the police have found otherwise, and I fully respect... One of the things that we've learned about Johnson is that he commands so much loyalty from some quarters, perhaps because he will always back his biggest supporters even when they find themselves in a sticky situation. Breaking news, you know, we've been reporting on Sir Gavin Williamson and the bullying allegations. We now understand that he has resigned his... Which do you think was the most egregious example of this in 2022? Oh, God, I mean, I always felt he likes those people to be sort of sinning around him because it makes it feel at, him feel at home. And they were also sort of formed meat shields in a way. So if you'd had Gavin Williamson and uh, at education, all these kind of useless people who were really underperforming and just failed everybody. But if they were doing worse than him, Pretty Patel at the Home Office, whatever, it felt good because then there was a sort of meat shield between him and the consequences of his actions. But ultimately, when they'd all gone, really, there was no one but him. Chris Pincher, Deputy Chief Whip, the man in charge of welfare for Tory MPs, resigned from government last night in disgrace. Chris Pincher, who... At the time was Deputy Chief Whip when he was accused of sexual assault and he resigned with a letter that you called some state-of-the-art minimising. In his resignation letter, he said, Last night I drank far too much. I've embarrassed myself and other people, which is the last thing I want to do. And for that, I apologise to you and to those concerned. Now, Marina, he has denied those allegations, but what did that whole affair tell you about the state the Tory party was in at the time? God, just what an absolute mess it is. But I mean, it is still a mess. And, you know, the whole time machine, I'm thinking, sorry, he's back in, he's still in the house. I keep seeing these people who are, we know are under investigation for sexual misconduct and in some cases have been sort of quite openly accused of it. And... We know that earlier this year it was it was reported that there were 58 MPs currently under investigation for mis- sexual misconduct. Now, if you assume that maybe a couple of those are women, that's still like one in eight men in the whole of the House of Parliament, oh God, when you lay it out which like seems that. to me kind of mind-blowing. And there is this just sense that it is a complete divorced-from-life cesspool. I mean, really, does, does anyone else have one in eight men in office under investigation for sexual misconduct. I mean, I feel like I worked in a few places like that in the early 90s, but, you know, it's a long time ago. After months of preparations, the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, has launched a major military operation against Ukraine. ...and told the Ukrainian military to lay down their weapons and go home. 
Marina, you also, of course, wrote about the war in Ukraine this year and you called Putin the only mega rich Russian who doesn't get their cosmetic surgery done in London. Where does he figure in your ranking of egomaniacs to write about in 2022? Oh, God. Well, I mean, you know, he's got he's up there, isn't he? I mean, of, of course. Um, but I suppose it reminds you of the actual in extremist element of egomaniacs. I mean, there are, you know, he made some of the egomaniacs in Westminster look rather small beer, didn't he? Just a true monster. You know, so much of what we've seen come in the sort of early 21st century populist playbook originated with him. We're awash with strong men and sort of would-be strong men. You know, we've got Bolsonaro, Modi, Orban, obviously Putin, Trump, you know, this is an age of these people. I mean, there is something very kind of relatable to them. You can see the people pussyfooting around them and you can see the people. And it does remind me of sort of every person you've ever known who you tread on eggshells around and just think if you don't say anything, it'll calm down quicker. And I'm afraid that's what the West to some extent did with Putin. And it didn't. Yeah, strangely, it, it, they never calmed down. Well, that invasion also prompted a lot of moral questioning about the level of Russian money swilling around in London and the UK's reliance on Russian gas supplies. You wrote, as Putin closes in physically on Ukraine's capital, our own capital has yet to properly instigate a reckoning with itself. Marina, can you tell me about that reckoning and what it says about where Britain draws its lines with Russia? Well, I mean, it's no secret that Huge numbers of the oligarchs came to, and oligarch adjacent people came to London, and they liked London because it, it was permissive in lots of ways. It was financially permissive. They certainly liked Brexit, and they made it a sort of lawfare capital of the world, as you know. You know that we've allowed ourselves to become like this, and I'm afraid we've turned away from it. And there've been lots of donations to political parties, most notably the Conservative Party, that we haven't really talked about, and we've looked away. We've looked the wrong way. But it was sort of hilarious watching belatedly people come to try and deal with it, like the police who ran to Deripaska's house. Squatters are now occupying the mansion of a Russian oligarch in London. And let's go live to Belgrade. You see the people up there with safety harnesses and red helmets. They are police officers there to make sure that nobody gets hurt or no damage is done. You could move for police. I mean, most people in London have had a break and you don't see any police, but they were just absolutely trotting. There was a whole phalanx of them trotting towards it, like they were having a sale at Greg's. Look at you, armed and with shields for peaceful protesters. Shame on you. I would have responded to that particular break-in slowly had I been the Met. But, you know, this is what I mean about having to sort of turn a whole ethos, a whole way of dealing with people around. And we were slightly slow to sort of catch up on the part we could play. There was all sorts of other stuff going on, wasn't there? In terms of, like, Russian cultural boycotts, only Tchaikovsky's not being played, and Russian dogs are banned from crafts, and uh, American bartenders are spilling vodka down the drain. I mean, what did you make of some of that stuff? I mean, it, we live in a sort of performative age of all this sort of thing, don't we? And this, these kind of performative gestures of lots of this stuff. I mean, we've, we definitely saw it after the death of the Queen when centre parks were telling people to remain in their lodges and the, the tills at Morrison's were being silent or lower, lower volume beat. I mean, this was ridiculous. The grief of the brands. I, I mean, I, I don't really think they amount to a hill of beans and it's really mostly just to get positive publicity. No, I think I would have carried on with Tchaikovsky.
Marina, when you last came on Today in Focus in 2021, you said there were so many times when people thought Johnson was finished. I've never thought he was finished. It's like an absolutely elemental will to power. And yet in July, he really was done for. Was he? Well, did, did you see, <laughs> see it coming and what happens year. next? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, don't no. say that to us. But yes, I did. I mean, it, he was finally done for. Your breath. Oh, Have you got your battery left on your phone? I've got my phone's running out. Of Repetitive juice. strain I'm injury. I'm running out of juice. No, no. Uh, we've had now 27 resignations. Mm-hmm. Five ministers resigning in one blow. I mean, it is now really in free fall. Do you remember there, there were 58 ministers resigned? Like they had three ed- education secretaries in a week. How did you sleep last night? Uh, rather better, I suspect, than the man who lives here because it has been a whirlwind 24 hours for the Prime Minister. That Michelle Donnellan became a minister and then resigned by the evening. 12 hours later? Yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. And what, finally, at the end, his, his spokesman said, you know, he awoke this morning and he had a moment of clarity. It's like, clarity? You've lost 58 ministers? I mean, this is so ridiculous. That's not trying to give it any dignity. The Prime Minister arriving home in a hurry after hearing the last news that he wanted, his Chancellor and Health Secretary had resigned, having lost confidence in him. I mean, it was the most undignified. He had to be pulled out of his storm drain like Raoul Moat. Good afternoon. It, thank you, thank you. It is clearly now the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader of that party and therefore a new Prime Minister. But his departure did give us that very long, long leadership contest which ran through the summer. The 1922 executive met this afternoon and I have since met with the board of the Conservative Party and we have agreed the way forward uh, for the... What struck you most about that leadership race? God, I mean, just how much I stuck out of it. I mean, I really... After a while, I stopped watching the debates. They were all the same. And I was, you know, I was quite... I was quite happy to withdraw almost completely from the debate over the future of our country. Um, as it turned out, you know, in the end, they both won. So, Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. of course. I mean, everyone, it was a bit like a competition in which my mother organises when everyone gets the prize for a bit. Therefore, I give notice that Liz Truss is elected as the leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. It was very, it was sort of demeaning and ridiculous. And I think we were supposed to think that it was a, an unbelievably rigorous procedure but it wasn't really was it because (laughs) look what happened next well thank you sir graham it's an honor to be elected as leader of the conservative and unionist party um which brings us to the shortest premiership of any prime minister in the history of the united kingdom apart from george canning who literally died in office let's talk about liz truss marina why not where do you start Well, you've got to be quick about it because you'll be out the door before too long. Yeah, she was, um, I mean, it was never going to work. And it was quite, it's very interesting that sections of the media have become such sort of partisan cheerleaders, even for specific candidates. And there were people who were very obviously cheering and saying, you know, it's going to be brilliant. And it was sort of so obvious. And also, I think that, you know, the general population has become, it had to become miserably, extremely politically literate over the last six years since we sort of tipped into chaos and never seemed to claw our way out of it. And so you find people talking about things like dead cats or playing to their base, you know, like everyone's James Carville now, everyone's some election strategist. And we all have to sort of understand what's happening to us because it's being done to us rather than in our name all the time. And I think most people in the country could see that she was not fit to do it. Um, and what, what were the first inklings, do you think, Marina? Well, I think 
anyone who'd seen her speak in public ever. In December, I'll be in Beijing, opening up new pork markets. And it was just this kind of thing that she'd been, a, it, was, it was always expected. She was obviously ambitious. She kind of kept her head down. She did always the right thing. She was madly self-publicizing. And I suppose in a way people just thought that that was enough. United Kingdom, let's uh, show you the formal moment when it happened. Uh, there it is being confirmed. Her Majesty the Queen asking Liz Truss to form her next government. That is her 15th Prime Minister, the kissing of hands, as you can see, there is actually... She met the Queen, who, in what turned out to be the last public photo, in which she, the Queen looked obviously incredibly frail. I remember actually writing at the time, she had she was wearing a nice smile, you know, perhaps thinking that she would be the only person not having to li listen to Liz Truss's eulogy at her own funeral. Little realising, of course, that within two days, that eulogy reading had become a reality. And I'm afraid to say in the last few moments, the following statement has been released. A few moments ago, Buckingham Palace announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Then there were 12 days um, and they spent those 12 days or whatever it was cooking up their budget with seemingly no input from the usual channels. And yeah, little by little, they went insane. And then she came straight back out of the traps. They revealed that mini budget. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And, uh, Mr. Speaker, let me start directly with the issue most worrying the British people today, the cost of energy. Liz Truss did have a big idea. It was just a bad idea that went very, very wrong. The British pound, folks, has hit its lowest ever level against the US dollar. Just looking at the pounds, and it is, it's ticking every second, and it's it's ticking lower. Actually, maybe we can show you a chart on the screen because it is quite dramatic. On Friday morning, as the Chancellor stood up and delivered his mini-budget, there were over 3,900 residential mortgage deals on the market. Now, since then, more than 1,600 have been taken off. Prime Minister, do you enjoy chaos? Well, I don't know what your question is getting at. Why don't you be more specific? Do you think they didn't listen or understand. And then that night, he, Kwasi Kwarteng, went to a reception. I spent, I think, a quarter of an hour uh, there, or maybe a bit longer. Um, and it was a party event. We had party events uh, all the time. Sorry, a party, a conservative party. A conservative party. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. A conservative, but not. Let's, let's Some hedge fund champagne reception in Chelsea where he told everybody he was going to do more, or they told him to do more, whichever it was. And then he went on the Sunday morning programmes and said, well, I'm going to go further. It's like, oh, my God. Our position hasn't changed. I will come up uh, with the uh, medium-term fiscal plan on the 31st of October, as I uh, said earlier in the week, uh, and there'll be more detail there. And you'll be Chancellor and Liz Truss will be Prime Minister this time next month? Absolutely, 100%. I'm not going anywhere. To me, it's fascinating that people who their whole lives swear by the free markets, when they finally presented themselves before the free markets, <laughs> just everything tanked in an afternoon. I mean, that's quite painful, isn't it? The markets delivered their verdict on the free marketeers uh, in, in a way that they, you think they would have found sobering, but they didn't. But they did have to then limp on. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Chancellor of the Exchequer. They had to do speeches at the party conference. So Kwarteng had to come on and he did a very slow walk to the podium. I think he was acting. Thank you, conference. What a day. It has been tough, 
He was obviously outacted by the podium. He was an appalling performer. And then Liz Truss had to create an enemy to explain why things were going so wrong. And that enemy was the anti-growth coalition. Labour, the Lib Dems, the SNP, the militant unions, the vested interests dressed up as think tanks, the talking heads, the Brexit deniers, Extinction Rebellion and some of the people we had in the hall earlier. Which seemingly everyone was in. I mean, I was obviously in it. Everybody was in it. We were all in it. Everyone was in this coalition who wasn't saying it was a great idea. From broadcast to podcast, they peddle the same old answers. It's always more taxes, more regulation and more meddling. Wrong, wrong, wrong. But they, they were a short-lived foe, I'm afraid to say. And then she threw him under the bus. Yeah. Are you sure you don't want to say you trust your Chancellor? I work very, very closely with my Chancellor. We're very focused on... She had to. He has to go because of the fallout from it. How come you get to stay? Well, my priority is making sure we deliver the economic stability that our country needs. That's why I had to take the difficult decisions I've taken today. The mission remains the same. We do need to raise... To survive for all of, how long was it? About 50 minutes. I can't go back and look at the timings on any of this stuff if you send yourself mad with it. Um, yes, she had to get rid of him and during his, her farewell to him in the cabinet, she said, they're already coming for me. Like everything over the past six years, it's felt like it's happened on turbocharge and you haven't, you know, we haven't really made sense of the premiership of it yet because the trouble is the propulsion forward always with the new story and the new administration, whatever, means that we haven't really had a time to say, what the hell happened there? <laughs> We really need a post-mortem. commentary has also talked about well yes it's it's a mess but maybe this is a real opportunity for labor their polling is up and things seem to be going relatively well but what do you make of Keir Starmer and Angela Rayner as a double act oh i mean i don't know i you know i hope they can work together um it's it remains to be seen i mean it's not hugely it's not hugely convincing is it as a double act? i don't know um they both obviously have separate skills i find him frightfully risk averse and i don't know if you can actually end up being that risk averse in government. In fact, you simply can't be. So he's going to have to overcome a huge amount of his kind of natural baked in, I don't want to say timidity, but but but, jet, but pathological risk aversion. So it does still feel to me quite difficult to see it as anything other than him benefiting from Conservatives' complete chaos. So in a way, it's like someone getting to the Wimbledon final and their just opponent just double-faulting all the way. I mean, eventually you have to hit the ball. But maybe you don't. Maybe you can be double-faulted all the way. You know, I mean, it has come to something when people are just saying, I just want boring. I just want competent. Or not even competent, just vaguely competent. You know, We're, we stick a fork in our dreams. They're done. Coming up, Marina on what's next for the royals. Marina, we have talked a lot about the turmoil in Westminster, but this year was also a very dramatic one for the royal family. Prince Andrew was stripped of, well, 
everything. The Queen passed away in September. Charles is now king. And of course... To see this institutional gaslighting. I wasn't being thrown to the wolves, I was being fed to the wolves. Meghan and Harry have released their Netflix documentary. Have you been watching? How does it all look to you? I have. I mean, there's bits of it that I, 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 I don't... I sort of feel like I've heard the story before um, and I understand why they have to keep telling it um, because they've got a contract. But I do feel I slightly heard the story, but I'm not quite sure what their next act is. At the moment, I think they're locked in a sort of terrible symbiotic relationship with their detractors where the papers say, you know, you be quiet. And they say, no, you be quiet. And whilst they have a lot of valid things to say and a lot of sort of wellness bore stuff that I can't get along with. Nonetheless, I think that the relationship it remains sort of horribly lucrative for both sides. Although, you know, certain sections of the media just like to cover it um, because it gets people angry and it gets people engaged. And then they have to go back, the Sussexes, and talk about the slights of those news organisations because it's another sort of grievance and you can talk about it and it's part of their... I don't want to call it an act because it's obviously their reality, but it's part of it's part of the show. Yeah. Um, and I, it's quite difficult to see where the next step is. I, do, I mean, I can't think it could be a healing way to live myself, um, to be constantly locked in these wars. If they put this series to bed and then... Um, We've got the book next year. I, I mean, it's just, it goes on and on, doesn't it? I don't feel it's... Is it finding freedom? It seems to be a lot about the old life. I love the title of the book. They're brilliant. Spare. I just... Just genius. I mean, I'll be getting it on day one, obviously. And what about the rest of the institution? How do you think the rest of the royal family is faring in 2022? I wonder whether when it all settles and when people see him on their banknotes and it's not the same, is it? It's just not the same as the Queen. And it's to, you can't ever have that same again, Something, someone that was there for so unbelievably long. It, it can't ever be remanufactured. Mm. Um, you know, th there isn't such affection for Charles at all. And I wonder in two or three years time, where we are and things like that. I think that something was permanently lost. Marina, in a year like this where there is so much bleak news, it is relentless, how do you try and find the jokes? You know, I do think that it's a defensive response. And you, somebody said once that we, do, we don't have revolutions in this country, we have jokes. <laughs> Um, and I wonder if there is something that we have got such a sort of tradition. I'm not sort of including myself in these highfalutin areas, but in a, a political satire. And then we don't really have very many revolutions. But um, it's just trying to think of a way in to try and keep people engaged. Because to me, <sighs> politics remains the best way of sorting out problems in people's lives. And I have to believe it can work. And I have, to, uh, you know, I, I would like people to stay engaged. So I try and do my absolutely minuscule part <laughs> Marina, I do see you as our chief chronicler of chaos. And looking, and I've said <laughs> it to you before, but it, it's all. so true. But looking back at 2022, how do you sum it all up? It can always get worse. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I wish I was ending on a more upbeat note, but come on, we can't lie, can we? Said with a laugh, though. Um, Marina, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. That was, of course, Marina Hyde. You can follow all her pieces at theguardian.com and her book, What Just Happened, a collection of her columns, is also out now. And before we go, The Guardian and Observer's 2022 charity appeal has begun. As the cost of living crisis pushes 14.5 million people in the UK below the poverty line, 
more families than ever are facing a bleak Christmas. If you had to pick between heating and eating, which would you choose? We're raising funds for charities working on the front line. All donations will go to local grassroots projects which support those who have been hit the hardest. To donate what you can, go to theguardian.com forward slash charity appeal 2022. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Alex Atak and Ruth Abrahams. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Elizabeth Cassin. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. <laughs>